This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Yeah, a lot of questions? Okay, go ahead. How do you speak to your family like your neighbor without it feeling unnatural or fake? It's hard. I don't think that this is natural because the natural step of a person's mind is, is that we become familiar with things. We don't realize that we become familiar with things. The same way a person, you know, rattles off Ashi the same way a person rattles off benching, the same way we rattle things off. But if we have a class on that idea, maybe for the next few times, you won't be so, you know, rattling it off because you'll be much more aware of the fact that you have to slow down. I'd I, I like to think that simple things help recenter us. So, you know, if the, if the tool over here is that you should treat your family like a stranger, then just simply say that. Next time you realize you have to say something that's a little harsh, just simply say, like a stranger, like a stranger. Say it in your mind. It will recenter you. Telling you it will recenter you. We're like almost embarrassed to, 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 to talk. I'll say it better. You're embarrassed to talk to your spouse the way you talk to your spouse in front of your neighbor. Forget even talking to your neighbor, right? How many times do you think to yourself, oh my gosh, if my windows were open, what do I sound like to the neighbor, right? People say all the time, like if my neighbors heard me screaming at my husband or my or whatever, vice versa, or my kids, you're like embarrassed. They, they're not even screaming at them. You're screaming at your own family members. You're embarrassed. Kavachimer like to scream at your neighbor, unless you're just like a psychopath, right? Mo- nobody would ever do that. But when we just remember to recenter ourselves, yes, I love this person. It, it just it just takes the emotion. I think this is the key. When it takes the emotion and it it just puts it back into that healthy range, you're able to have a very focused conversation, which is actually productive. Again, go back to the story. Think about this man talking to his family. This was such a productive story. And this is to me also part of this man's godless. He's a simple man. He's not like Adam Gundel. Nobody even knows his name. The simple man who was making a simcha and the story happened. And I think that part of the genius was that he literally was able to take out a pen and paper with his family and say to his family, can we schmooze? Can we just talk? Can we just write things down? How much emotion is involved in that conversation? Very little. So that, that's the skill. The skill is, can, can we just talk for a minute? Can we just put things down? Can, can we not make up our mind? I just saw this term. It like really struck me. It's called confirmation bias. It's where you already made up your mind about something. And then you just look for confirmation about your bias, right? So you look for the confirmation of whatever your decision was. Within so many arguments, you see that happening. It's like, really? Like you're not even open or flexible enough to hear somebody else's opinion. Like put aside your decision for just a minute. Just put it aside for just one minute. Just listen to somebody else's opinion. Let them talk for a second. Let them talk. I, I sit with couples all the time and I, I hear the same word of it. Can I talk? Can I talk? Can I finish talking? And I'm like, let the person talk. People want to be heard. You want to be heard. Let the, let, let the, the ideas flow. Let them go onto the table. When you're married, you're part of a team. That's what you are. You're two parts of a unit. Your family unit is an extension of that. It's, it's a husband and wife. You're a team. You got to go through life together. It's not, it's my way or the highway and you're in the backseat. Like, what, what is this? Could we, could we talk? Can we have a conversation? Can we sit down? Yes, our emotions take over. And that's when we start being very accusatory and then people start shutting down. And then we start saying things that are just totally off on a tangent. And a lot of times what I find is that when people are going off on a tangent, 
they're just highlighting their they're highlighting their um, what they're trying to convey emotionally. Let me say it like this. So if a wife trying to say to her husband, I'm hurt that you did this or you said this, right? So she usually doesn't say, I'm hurt that you said that. She'll, she'll usually say like, where were you? You're never home on time. You didn't help with the kids. You never do bath time. She's like saying random stuff. But, but what she's saying is not true because he may have helped with bath time and he, and he may have come home early yesterday. So a lot of times she's rambling and rambling because she's trying to convey an emotion. I feel hurt. I feel betrayed. I feel unloved. I don't feel prioritized. So that's really what she's saying. So a lot of times as I'm watching this happen, I'm like, she's, it's like, it's like, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, she really just needs to turn to her husband and say, you know, I would really appreciate if you came home early or if you're going to be late, just send me a text because it threw off my schedule today. So very calm that she just conveyed whatever she wanted to convey, but it took her an hour and he feels like she just dragged him through the mud. And it's not women to men, it's men to women also. It, it really goes back and forth. But a lot of times I'm sitting there, like I wrote down, like I write on my paper, like this is what she's trying to convey. If she only would use her words, the guy would be so happy to, like, to listen to her. But that's not what she said. She went on an hour tangent, how he's a failure. She's screaming about his mother. And, and 27 years ago, I'm like, where are we going with this? And she just wanted to say, by the way, you're an amazing wife. You're an amazing husband. You're doing such a great job. If you would just do this, it would make my life a little easier. Next time, please don't forget this, you know, because it's really important that I have this. But I understand you're very busy. Put things on the table. It's our emotions that allow these conversations to get derailed from the get-go. And because of that, it just goes crazy. With your neighbor, you don't have this emotional connection. So it's easier. It's easier to be neighbors with somebody than, than to be married to them in a way, right? Because there's no emotion. So you're able to walk over there and say, hi, very sweet, very nice. Because you don't really have anything to do with them. But within the good over here of being so close to somebody, right? What do they say? You always hurt the ones you love, right? Because you love them, you're close with them, and there's that familiarity. So therefore, you're saying things that are hurtful. But I think that it, it, it could easily change, could easily change. It's also so much more productive. Sometimes when I'm sitting with people, I tell them, I want you to say what you have to say, but like in six minutes, like it's impossible. Like it's, it's possible. Think through like literally like the bare bones of what you want to get out in the nicest way, in the sweetest voice, as if you're talking to a stranger. Now go ahead and talk. And you'll see, it's a it's like a miracle. Like, whoa, you just said like, yeah, I would appreciate it if he came home earlier and he had more time for me. Okay, that's that's fine. You could say that. Whereas the other way is like a two hour thing about how he hates me. He's never there. He doesn't give me anything. It just goes on and on. If, yeah, if you treat your spouse like a stranger, sometimes you get a lot further. I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sure. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Sure. Um, I'd like to ask, how do you open up, or how do you, um, how do you like start in like an emotional relationship on a date without completely opening up and sharing like either too much or everything? Because or else I feel like it would just be a talkless conversation, like you said. Yeah. And I guess maybe my question would be more also like, so how much do you share as well? I think that the dating process, there's two sides to the dating thing when I talk about dating emotionally. One is opening up about yourself and sharing a little bit about maybe something that you're passionate about or something that you have an emotional charge to, not in a way that makes you seem crazy, but in a way where you're, 
you're just expressing passion or emotion about something. And that should open up, I think, again, assuming somebody's dating 10 times, just for illustrative purposes, okay? So I would say that usually around date three or four is when you should start just expressing things. You know, oh, I once had this in the story, my friend did this and like, you know, got me a little bit annoyed, but I dealt with it like this and this and this, and then everything turned out like that, right? You're, you're expressing, you're showing who you are when things are not good. I think that should happen around that point. So the person gets a glimpse into the world who, of who you are. And then in terms of like, I always say you, you need to sell and you need a prod. So that's called selling, right? Where you're, you're sharing about yourself so the other person knows about you. Prodding is where you're trying to get information about the other person. So there, it usually comes in the form of a question. So you may want to say like, you know, um, have you ever gotten upset about something? Or if the person says a story, you might say like, oh, that must have been very hurtful. And then when the person says, yeah, it really was. Oh, how did you deal with it? Or what was the outcome or whatever? And there, there you're having an emotional conversation. It doesn't mean that you're emotional. It means that you're having an emo- a conversation about emotions. Does that make sense? So now you're, you're, you're talking to the person, you're getting an insight. Oh my gosh, this person stabbed them in the back and how did they deal with it? Like this. Oh, very interesting. So that's how they would deal with adversity or something that comes up in their life that, you know, is hard for them or a challenge or whatever the case may be. That's where you gain an insight into who, who you're dating. That, that to me is called dating emotionally. And I find that when people do that successfully, they usually have a very strong affinity towards the person that they're dating. They're like, wow, this is amazing. If I was dealing with life's challenges and this was my spouse, the way that they dealt with that, that was amazing. That's so much more amazing to people than, wow, we share, we share this, the same, you know, um, we, we love Rebbe Victor Miller's Machshava. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's, it's great, very important that you share similar mindsets or goals or whatever. But I find that dealing with life, like how do you plan on dealing with life? If that is similar or if that is something that speaks to you, that is just tremendously eye-opening for people on a date. But it really shows itself, I think, after marriage. I think most people will, will agree that when they dated, they didn't necessarily see necessarily who their spouse was. Hopefully, it's all for the good. But, you know, it, it really comes out when life starts throwing you curveball after curveball after curveball. And then you say, oh, how do we deal with the, the, the challenge of not having children or the challenge of raising children or the challenge of making money or not having enough money or being stressed from whatever the case may be or health, right, or family, whatever. That's when all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, who, who is by my side? And if you're not really on the same team emotionally, how you deal with the world, that's when it usually comes out. And that's when it's, it's, it's usually challenging to, to get that person next to you. That's when you're dealing with an outside struggle. When you're dealing with an inside struggle, such as each other, and you don't know how each other deals with things, that's when things usually just go off, off, off the rails. I always say, if you can't have a conversation with your spouse, it's just one of the most painful things. You have to be able to talk. You have to be able to talk. But if you can't, if you can't, then ask yourself if maybe you're part of the reason that that conversation is not happening. Maybe it's because you sit down, not you, a person, a different person, not anybody here, not anybody listening to this, somebody else, that they're having a conversation and they're, they're trying to have the conversation, but it's so, it's so heavy to the other person that the person just can't handle it. Whereas if you change your own voice, maybe you'll see a different outcome. That's what I'm driving at. Yeah, does that make sense? Okay. Um, what do you do if my spouse as a child is criticized a lot and being married 
my husband is ultra sensitive to criticism. Yeah. So when something bothers me, I feel like I'm always touching that raw, raw nerve. Yeah. He hates it and then says, don't put me down, even if I try the most productive way to do it. I'll yeah. that I'm putting him down. That's a challenge because that that person, that spouse has, you know, almost like an allergy because of the fact that they were put down so much in their life. So they're going to they're gonna be very, very sensitive to criticism. So such a person, first of all, if they have that self-awareness, then they'd be very, very wise to go sit with somebody who can help build them up because it's not fair to your spouse that they can't bring something up. And every time they do, it just descends into chaos. And I guarantee you, somebody like that who was put down so much in their life, I guarantee you it affects your life in so many more ways other than your spouse not being able to have a conversation with you. So that person would be very, very wise to, to, to say, I know that I'm very sensitive. Let me go speak to somebody to build up who I am so that that sensitivity doesn't spill over into our marriage, meaning that's really an individual issue that is also manifesting itself within the context of marriage. And then within the context of marriage, the wife would be very wise to, to also say to the husband, I know you're very sensitive. I'm not here to criticize you. Let me learn to be the voice that can speak to you because you're my husband. I married you with all your glory, which includes the fact that you are somebody who was prone you know, or subject to a lot of criticism in your life. So now I need to learn to have a voice that it doesn't come across as being critical, that I'm really just bringing you up. I'm, I'm building you up. That's like a skill. It's something that takes a long time to develop. So it's really on both sides. It's on the person who got beaten down to go say, let me go get the help that I need to like have more self-confidence, self-esteem, be more of the gavra, even if it's a woman, but to have more gavrish kite, if that's a real word, it's not, but it's fine. We'll say it anyways. And it's on the person who's married to them to first of all, accept them for who they are. And then when you're having that corrective action, that conversation to do it in a way that the person's able to say like, wow, you really love me. You're awesome. You encourage me. You believe in me. Even when you're giving over, I'll call it corrective action. It's not really criticism. You hear what I'm saying? But yeah, it is a challenge. It is a challenge. That's a harder, it's a hard, it's, it's a more fragile, emotional um, construct, but it doesn't change what we're saying. It just means that you have to be much more sensitive to that particular person. It's true. There, I'll say it like this. There's certain people you could say the worst things to them and it just, it's, it's like nothing. You know, you say like, you're a failure, you're going to be a nothing. They're like, oh yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, like they're totally fine. I, I mean, you know, and then there's some people you look at them funny and they just burst down in tears. So you have to know who you're married to for sure. And, you know, each person has to apply this to their own relationship in their own way. But the idea that you can't have a conversation, that's, that's a problem. You have to ask yourself why that is. That's all I'm saying. Does anybody here want to say something? Yeah? No? Okay, I just want to throw that out. I'm not sure if this is a question for this class, but if yes, my question is, how do you maintain communication as a married couple while your husband is traveling and not have miscommunications and arguments at the same time? Say it again, say it again. They want to know, um, as a married couple, mm -hmm. one of the spouses, they're traveling a lot. How do you not have miscommunications and arguments in that? Yeah, I'm going to say like this. You know, one thing I heard from a, a top, top, marriage counselor once he laid out he laid out three scenarios and he asked which do you think is the most ideal you have a couple where the man's on on the road for like three weeks out of the month he's running around the world and then he's back for a month he's back for a week and then you have another couple that has like a nine to five job both of them whatever and then you have a third couple where they're both working in the house you know in different rooms and they're both you know working from the house which do you think is the most ideal and what's the answer 
The answer is all, they're all right and they're all wrong. Meaning whatever works for a couple works for a couple. There's no right answer to that. Every couple has their own dynamics and every couple has what works for them. There are certain couples that are able to work together in the same office. I, when I tell people that my wife and I work in the same office, they're like, what? That's crazy. I'm like, don't try it at home. This is not an experiment that you should try. If it doesn't work for you, then don't do it. But certain couples, it works. Certain couples, they're able to like spend a lot of time together. They can do projects together. And certain couples, it's just better for them not to. Obviously, I think there's certain you know situations that are more ideal than others. But I will say that in every single couple's dynamic, you have to make sure that the batteries are fully, fully charged, even if the person is away, even if the person is traveling. If that's not the case, meaning if, if the spouse is gone for so long, then and you keep getting into like these long distant arguments, then something's off in, in, in your family dynamic, in the family structure, where a person is not able to feel from a distance, hey, you're gone for a few weeks, you're thinking of me, you're checking in with me, the burden of the family is not sitting on my head. Like you have to have a real open conversation if this is working for you. And if it's not working for you, then there's a very good chance that it's just simply not working for you. Other people are able to do that where the husband's bouncing around the world and he checks in at specific times and he has time with his wife and, and it's able to work. So the, the real answer to that is it's, it's, it's obviously going to be different because of the spouse is on the road for so much, for so long, you know, for so much of their, of their marriage. But they have to learn to make it work to the point where everybody's emotional needs are really being met, that the wife feels that she's able to talk. And he's not like, oh, it's three in the morning. I'll speak to you in three weeks from now. Like that dynamic, if it's temporary, it's temporary. But if that's the long-term solution, then something needs to happen. I always say that one of the things I do with many couples, and you could try this at home, is just take your schedules and just ask yourself where your marriage fits into your schedule. Where does it fit in? And if if it's very, very little time that the two of you actually have time together, then your your problem is like staring right at you. You just don't have time for each other. So if this couple's dynamic is such that it just doesn't allow for a relationship to grow, then you may have to ask yourself, is our is our structure balanced or is or is the whole balance off? That's yeah. Yeah. I'll speak that. The question is, is inequality versus quantity? Meaning when you're on vacation, you have 24 hours together. When you're working nine to five, you have more isolated time slots that you're able to see each other. I agree that being on vacation with your spouse for 365 days a year, you will probably kill each other. Okay. That is a very unbalanced relationship. That's way too much. Having regular nine to five jobs or being in yeshiva, whatever the structure is, and having specific times daily that you're interacting with your spouse, that I think is what is considered balance. And it's not too much to the to this side or that to that side. A lot of times, like I have Hassanim that I teach, I tell them, I don't think you should come home from yeshiva at six o'clock and spend from six to, to midnight alone with your newlywed wife. I think you're going to end up fighting after a couple of days. And it, it always happens that way. They do tell people that they should try, they should try to have a balanced night. What that means is you come home, you have some time, you go out to either night seder, chavrusa, mincha, mayr, whatever, and then you come back and then you have some more time. And that's when you're newlywed. But when you're married for a certain amount of time, so yeah, you come home, you have something, and then you have usually a break, kids, dinner, supper, bath time, whatever, right? Mincha, mayr, chavrusa, whatever the case is, and then you spend some more time together. So I think daily interaction is considered balance. That's what I would say, I think, in most relationships. But 
when you're gone for weeks and weeks and weeks, or when you're just on vacation and you just have so much time, I don't think that that's, you know, the ideal. A lot of couples, interestingly, a lot of couples that struggle like very heavily is when they retire. Like they, they hit retirement age and all of a sudden, like he doesn't have to go to his job anymore. All of a sudden they're like, you, like I got to spend 24 hours with you. Like, oh, I'm not used to that. Yes. Okay. My wife is bringing up a good point <laughs> that there is this concept. Okay, good. Very good. Very good. Um, there is this concept that a person could and should have seapook, which is like satisfaction, accomplishment out of the house as much as they get it in the house. So, and that's a hundred percent true. So especially with a newlywed couple, let's say a guy's in yeshiva, he comes home at six o'clock and he has from six to 12 o'clock at night with his wife. I think it's a lot of hours to be sitting, but if he has a social life and if he has, you know, his friends, his basketball, his chavrusa, his, his chesed project, whatever it is that's outside of the house, I think that's very healthy and balanced as well. I don't think that everything has to be just here. Yes, at the same, we don't send the guy to war after he just got married, okay? Because that might, that might, he might be too distracted to be shooting the gun straight, you know? He might miss his wife too much and, and we don't want a woman who just got married to have, you know, the potential loss of her husband. So yes, we don't send them to war, but he could go out and play a game of basketball. He doesn't have to sit at home for six hours, eight hours. I think that's too much. So I'm saying, yeah, there definitely should be a balance outside of the home as much as there is inside them. Huh? And, and her as well. Yes, yes. This is not, you know, only for the men and her as well. She should have her exercise class and be able to get away from her husband for a little bit. Not that she's escaping him, but like that she should be able to have a balance outside them. 100% true. Yes, 100% true. Okay, one more question from Zoom. Yeah, very contentious tonight. <laughs> if a family member feels like they have to walk on eggshells around you, how do you rebalance the relationship to make them feel more comfortable? Yeah, that's a very, that's a very, that's a very heavy question because a lot of people say that, right? I feel like I'm walking on eggshells around the person. I think it starts with a conversation that, you know, we, I'll say it a few things. Number one is it starts with yourself. Ask yourself if, if, you're contributing to this, meaning are you able to not have a conversation with the person because you're a contributing factor here? That's number one, like we spoke about tonight. And number two is if you're, if you find that you're unable to have a conversation with somebody because you're always walking on themselves, I think that there's a conversation about having a conversation. It's almost like having a meeting about having a meeting, you know, like I think that that's just an important piece that, that has to happen in a relationship. It, it drives me crazy when I, when I hear people say like, I can't talk to my spouse or this person, like you just, they're not talkable or they're just so, they're just so all over the place that anytime we bring anything up, it just goes off. Why, why, why is that the case? How can you not allow your spouse to have an open dialogue with you about anything? Literally show them this class, <laughs> tell them this is really important to me. I need to be able to talk to you, but like ask yourself if your voice is, is part of the reason that that's happening. So I don't have, a, a, a. there's no one solution for everybody who you're walking around on eggshells. There's definitely not one solution for that person. But I do think that the idea that people are walking around on eggshells around the person, it would be wise to sit down with that person and say, listen, I find it very hard for us to communicate the things that need to be spoken about. Can we go to a third party, please? And, and, and just have a conversation. I'm telling you, I, I, I will tell you that a lot of people think that like, marriage troubles happen for like with newlywed couples and they're the ones that are struggling. I really don't find that. I find that newlywed couples have newlywed problems. It's very, it's, it's not, it's not monumental. It's when couples come, they're married 20, 30, 40 years. Huh? 
well, a lot of it is, is <laughs> very good. A lot of that is making sure when you're younger and you're more flexible and you're able to listen to each other, because I do think that, that children are more flexible. Like I, I have twins, right? When you see them fighting about something, you hear them screaming, and then a second later, they're like arm in arm with each other. They're very flexible. We're not as, you know, as we get older, we get so much more more set in our ways than children do. So yes, the way that you avoid that is by making sure from the beginning, you have the fundamentals of, of marriage down. But for a couple that's married, for all those years that somebody can't have a conversation, it, it, it's, it's just not, it's a disservice to yourself. You yourself are not going to be happy. When you, allow, when you allow somebody into your world, when you're able to com- convey your own feelings, your own emotions, then it usually goes a very far way. I just find when I sit with couples that are married for a very long time and we're able to like take out all the emotion and all the, all the garbage, all the like heavy stuff that they're talking about that doesn't really center on like the core issues, I find that very often both parties walk out happy. They do. I just had somebody in my house. They said, we were in therapy for like 10 years and we noticed every time we were in therapy, we were upset at each other. Like we were more upset when we finished. And they're like, here, we came here two or three times and we came out, we were, we were closer to each other. Like we were happier with each other. So like, we're going to keep coming here. They should find a new therapist because the therapist was like opening up all these wounds. It was so painful for them that they couldn't go home. Again, it's its own sugya. Therapists are great and therapy is great, but sometimes people need something a little bit different, um, which was in this particular case. I'm just saying a person needs to be able to have a conversation with their spouse. And you just have to ask yourself if maybe part of the reason you're not having that conversation has to do with you. And if it does, obviously you have to be able to own up to that and change your own voice to change your own outcome. Treat your spouse like a a stranger and usually they will listen to you. It's not going to be so challenging to be around them, you know, because they're going to want to, they want to have, they want to improve their life. But at the same time, if your spouse is somebody that you are always walking on eggshells, then the best thing you can do, I think, is to try to push them to sit with you with a third party and say, hey, let's let's talk this through with somebody else. See how far we get. You know, I love you. You're great. I want to see if we can like for those conversations. But there's no there's no real answer to this. I don't know if there's a specific answer for every person that you're walking on eggshells around. That's unfortunately. Yes, we're going to be off for the summer mitzvah. So from now through Elo. Please stay tuned to the WhatsApp group and emails, and we will come back with the journey of life. Um, and we're the beginning of L. Have a wonderful, awesome night, everybody. And be- You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.